Hey, what's going on? This is Mariah from Makeup from the band Flush, and you're watching Guitar Tales with Dave Cullen. And thank you, Mariah Fermika, two-time guest. What a great bumper, great band, Plush. And that, by the way, for our tonight's guest, uh, Becky Baldwin was hand-chosen. Uh, girl power, uh, great musician, hard-working musicians. Uh, so that's why we picked Mariah's bumper for today. So thank you, Mariah. As we do every episode, we want to thank our sponsor, Mischief Studios in Pennington, New Jersey, with the great Charles Lorita in charge of it. He is a one-time uh, GT guest and a fabulous musician, teacher, and purveyor of all things great in the world of music, including lessons, instruments, and space. And as I like to do every time also is thank my great friend, Scott Katarmasis Stengel, who is with us behind the boards right now. He is keeping me honest. He will be muting every time my dog barks, which hopefully won't happen too much. He will be correcting me when my ignorance is exposed, which is frequent. Uh, and he will be uh, giving me information I need when I do something wrong. Uh, all of that being said, this is an historic show here on Guitar Tales. It is not our first, but our second guest from the UK. However, this is what makes it our first. We had Johnny Bullet on in, I believe, season two and during COVID, actually, who was um, calling in from New York City. But this is our first ever Guitar Tales episode where we have traversed the pond. And uh, we have Becky Baldwin from the other side of the pond, hailing from the UK. She is a phenomenal bass player, great musician, great band player in Triaxis Fury. I'll get this name wrong. It's either Dorja or Dorha. I think it's Dorja. You'll correct me. And Hands Off Gretel. Um, Scott and I are loving your song. We watched the video um, where basically who gets to hell first. And I think the specific title was I'll Meet You in Hell. The hook was great. The musicianship was great. And the performance was great. So thank you so much, Becky, for joining us. Hello. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Uh, we're thrilled to have you here. So you are six, seven hours ahead of us, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's eight, uh, sorry, 9 p.m. here right now in the UK. Oh, so you're only five hours ahead of us. Well, okay. Not too bad. Not we worked bad. it out somehow. We're here we at the did. same time. It's a miracle. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, we have like a we have two soup cans and a really long line stretched across the Atlantic Ocean so we could communicate with each other. Hello. <laughs> but, it, but it worked. So so I have to tell you, um, Scott and I, we have the if you look at the background on the show right now, this is the kind we use all the time. But Scott put something special together for tonight. Here we go. Look at that. <laughs> and then Scott Very nice. And Scott sent me an email this morning. He's like, you better do something about your albums back here. So I've got, on the end, that's not just a Kinks album. I've got a Kinks EP, Superman, that I bought probably in 79 or 80. Let it be, of course, we know. We've got the jam. And then we went really weird. We have Roger Daltrey McVicker, mm -hmm. uh, a movie he made that probably three people watched. But we Ooh. went all... 
We went all UK today for you, for our oh, special thank you. guest. What do you normally have there then? Uh, it's random albums. Um, it, it's it, it usually is more UK than anything else, in all honesty. But um, I had I, I pulled Zoso out, and I thought, eh, we've had it on too many episodes, so I wanted to go a little different. I wanted to dig a little deeper in, so I put the jam up there. Uh, but we went, and my head is blocking. My bald head is blocking uh, the jam, but there it is. That's a cool album right there. Nice. Yeah. Very so, good. So we are all UK tonight for you. So let's hear who – talk about the projects you're doing right now. What bands are you with right now? So the main band that I'm playing with at the moment is Fury um, because at the moment uh, Hands Off Gretel are, are on a little bit of a hiatus. Okay. And Triaxis where, where we never – like, I didn't like leave the band or anything. It's also kind of just not really – nothing is really happening at the moment. Gotcha. It, it was kind of like, do I say that I left the band? Like we've just kind of agreed to just not – not not continue for a while so yeah the main thing at the moment is fury um so i'm touring with them like yeah all the time and um we're working on a new album for next year but you know we're still touring the last couple of albums now, and where do you guys tour well well yeah so we're mostly in the uk and uh we have ventured out into europe a little bit um we'll be going back out to europe again uh, later this year unfortunately we haven't done any uh, dates in the USA yet it's, um, it's it's rather far to go and it's quite a hard um, uh, part of the industry to get into for, for a UK band to go over to America um, you have lots of very strict visa rules and things uh, but we're hoping that one day we can we can do that you know that I, you know I hadn't thought about that we, we, we just had um, a guest on the other day and he talked about when they went um, over to your side of the pond they just sold everything they owned and bought one-way tickets uh yeah be because that's all they were able to do at the time uh, -huh. uh but yeah it's you know in terms of equipment in terms of your life that would that would be a bit of a challenge yes yeah like i mean if, if we could go over there and um I, I don't know make it somehow feasible in terms of costs like i think even if it if it was just a, a money thing then it would be like yeah let's just do it like we know that the kind of music we play is very popular in America and uh, now would be a very good time to do it seeing as I've just played over there with Merciful Fate it would mean just like yeah let's just go do it um, but you know there, there are more things that you have to think about if you're you know if you play over there even if you're not making any like money profit um, if you're there playing gigs then you're working and then you need a working visa and like oh gotcha it's, yeah it's like it's harder to a lot of bands you know do try and do it and a lot of bands get away with it but a lot of bands get like sent back at the border and just waste all of their money and time doing it and it's just i don't know it's not something i want to risk doing like just going and hoping for the best because you know you want to if you want to promote your gigs you have to post them everywhere online and like you know try and like rally up some interest from um you know magazines and things but if they then like search your name like what what is rebecca baldwin doing here in america well she has a website with her tour dates with her band so does she have a work visa no <laughs> so, so, wow. no, so yeah that would yeah. be the kind of thing that would happen if, if we tried to do it without a visa so when i toured with merciful fate they helped me arrange a visa for that period of time but for like a whole new band, uh, you know, very a very young band to to do it, it's it's, it's very hard, very very hard. <laughs> I, you know, it's so, it's something obviously we haven't thought about. Your your second guest uh, from the UK, but the first one who's physically there. Um, and I wonder, 
you know, like um, I'm a huge fan of the British invasion. And, and I wonder what it's like now, meaning you, to be um, a, a, a working, talented musician in the UK. And you look back, what's literally 40, 50 years ago, and, and there's that sense, I would guess, that the way to really, really make it and make it big is, you know, you got you have to conquer America. And I wonder what sort of the, the myth of that is versus the reality and, and sort of the current thinking of working musicians in the UK. Um, yeah, I guess it is, you know, the, the, the same thing. Like, you know, you, that's kind of a dream to, to conquer America and like, you know, get, tap into that audience there because I don't know, like for some reason, um, the Americans really like British music and like, do. They, you know, they, they kind of are interested in, in our kind of culture and, and things. So, um, yeah, so you just need to find a way to, uh, you know, uh, someone to present your band to right. that audience and present it in the right way to the right people. Of course, you know, like it's not like, OK, all Americans like all British artists. It's like finding the right niche as well. Um, but yeah, I guess like not as much anymore. I guess maybe the industry has changed a little in that um, the venues seem more corporate and whereas like you can do quite well just touring smaller venues in Europe for example yeah. whereas um in America like I, I don't know for sure because I've not actually like toured in America there, there's there are some like small grassroots venues but when you start actually getting bigger it's like yeah straight into the kind of corporate machine of the music industry and it's true and that's when you start being like oh okay I'm not sure how you, you lose a lot of control and you're not quite sure how um how much you're going to enjoy and you know feel like a creative artistic person when you start working through that part of the industry i don't know for sure but like i don't know that that's something that i've been thinking of like it, i i wouldn't mind if um I, I you know my main priority now is to like kind of break more into europe and if i can make a more work out of that then that'd be great and then um you know, America would be the, the sites that I set after that. Yeah, I, I love that analysis. And, and Scott chimed in. He's, it's true. Uh, Scott can get you into the fabled Stone Pony. Okay, uh, cool. Where I'll be this Saturday night watching uh, GT guest Girl Bossa Nova for the second time. They're a wonderful band. And, uh, yeah, and, and that, there, there are those iconic places. But we just posted on our website, uh, CBGB's is now a John Vervedo's clothing store. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, most, you're right. Most of the big arenas are named after banks or airlines right now. That's something that really struck me when I went over yeah. there and, and did some, some venues. It was like, oh, the, the YouTube theater and like the, I, I don't know, something. And I was just like, why are these all named after something that's completely unrelated to music? Oh, um, because guess- it's the massive egos of asshole <laughs> that's what it is yeah yeah they're like you oh know? yeah what am i gonna do with my money i know i'll buy some venues but i mean yeah. we do have that over here um o2 venues so like the o2 mobile network is like okay. like all of the big ven- venues over here um but you know it's just very common for us to be like oh, it's the o2 venue everyone goes that's where all the big bands play um but yeah you've got just different different big corporations owning different big venues over there so uh, yeah yeah very interesting to see that. <laughs> and I wonder for, for you to sort of build your brand, right? 
Um, I, I was, I was, I was on your side of the pond, which I've said about a thousand times too many already. But, uh, but I was in England about six, seven months ago, and and I know there's all sorts of great venues there. Such a cool culture, and musically that is, and otherwise. But I wonder for you to build your brand, if there's more, if you're going to pack more power to your punch, creating a great ven- uh, video at a cool venue and then disseminating the video than you would if you played at a plastic generic arena over here. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Like, um, yeah, there's a lot more, uh, you know, yeah, interesting venues that uh, should have a draw on their own, I guess, and like something interesting to pull an audience in on their own uh, over here compared to, you know, every venue trying to be the same thing and ultimately you know, they're, they're not going to be as good as the as the smaller venues that, right. like, you know, cheaper beer. That's <laughs> um, right. Yeah. You know, better sound, better layout, uh, just generally better quality and the staff are really going to look after you. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a real shame that, like, that they're disappearing. And as you said about CBGBs going, like, I can't believe that, yeah. you know, people wouldn't, like, rally around to protect them. But, you know, we hear about think. it every day here, uh, like, yeah. you know, venues dropping like flies. Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess everyone took a hit from COVID, you know? Um, and I, I wonder, uh, you know, there's a certain percentage of them that just can't come back. And then the ones who did maintain like the stone pony, you know, Scott is always playing at bar anticipation, which is another wonderful shore venue. They come out stronger than ever because they survived and, it, and it's fewer left. But I'm even thinking for you, if part of your mystique um, is being from England, like that could be your appeal here, right? Um, and then if there, if there's video footage of you playing a cool venue there, that could have an appeal to us, you know, Ah. because, you know, because that's, you know, that's, that's part of the mystique I would think. And I don't know if you're aware of it, but you have an accent as far as we're concerned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) Scott and I were kind of, yeah, we were goofing off. We cannot do it. We tried. We can't do a British (laughs) accent. Yeah. Yeah. We actually played a venue. It was in Aberdeen in uh, Scotland. Okay. Uh, a few months ago, and that was live streamed. So the the venue during the lockdown, it started working towards, uh, you know, getting really great quality cameras installed, right? Um, so that they could, you know, move more to the online realm. And I thought that was really interesting. And like, I was desperate for venues to do that, you know, during the lockdown. Like, come on, we need to play mm-hmm. some gigs. We have like, um, I feel like bands started utilizing their online following more uh we definitely did we weren't spending as much time on the road so we were like figuring out how we can reach our uh, online fans and that meant that we had fans all over the world who could probably like yeah see us ever because uh we're not going to play anywhere near them anytime soon so we were like itching for a venue to start doing really good quality live streams um, and yeah, this venue started doing it and um, it, it was really good quality. And so, yeah, we're really excited to go back another time because it was a very cool, like small venue. Like, uh, but, you know, again, like, as you said, you can get the whole vibe of the room, uh, which is something I didn't really think of. I was just thinking, like, oh, how cool does the stage look and how uh, high quality yeah. is the video? But actually, like getting a little vibe of like what the room looks like would be quite cool. And um you know, there's a technology for it where you can have that like 360 view of the room. You could see how empty it is at the front because, <laughs> right, right, right. Because yeah. like 
a big band is playing down the road and like damn it <laughs> they've all gone there but you know like um yeah it, it was a really cool show yeah and it's funny because you know we we consume a ridiculous amount of our music on these things you know we're, yeah. we've got you know a tiny little screen and and our brains have adjusted to sort of transporting us into whatever we're watching and, and yeah if, if you've got you know great sound and great uh video coming from from your venue in scotland to the extent it can happen and we you know everyone you and i and scott in, in the green room um in the control room back then, we all agree nothing will ever beat being live i mean just you, you can't and, and you can't replicate it but to the extent that we're consuming music and consuming the, the experience through screens as we call them now you know you're, you're going to create a lot of that if you if you're mindful i guess about trying to put that experience together for people so it's pretty cool yeah yeah i think it's definitely something that uh, venues should be moving more towards if, if they're going to survive because i don't think it's the kind of thing that a big venue could really do or wouldn't really need to do um right. you know uh, these the yeah like the o2 venues but venues at the big places are doing don't really need to do that so much but the small venues it could really be the thing that kind of keeps them going right and and, and it's interesting because it's going to help you because it'll help your name recognition and help maybe get people to buy your music to come see you. And then we always talk on the show. We, we had a whole panel discussion um, in season two of probably one of our best shows. And it's always about, they talk about getting asses onto the stools, getting asses into the bar, you know, get asses into the seats. And, it, and if they're live streaming and they're conveying to people who are within a reasonably close distance and, and they're getting that vibe, they want to be there. You know, the next yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I thought you were going to go say, oh, you know, they're just going to watch it from home and not come and buy the beer. But, you know, right. I think if they saw it, they'd be like, hang on, I'm missing out here. This is like, that looks yeah. like it's going to be really fun. But yeah, like, I think, yeah, it's going to be good for the local area and, and just right. anything that can keep that venue going. And then, um, you know, for, for, for certain bands that can't travel far, um, can't really you know, cross the pond to America, we can still like reach those fans who keep asking right. uh, to see a show. They, they finally get what they want, at, at least on a screen. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, and it might inspire them to get the hell out of their houses, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, we had Paul Nelson on, uh, I don't know if you know, Paul, he, he's toured with buddy guy, um, super cool guy, great musician. And he had, so, you know, he said something that made perfect sense that I had never thought of. And I personally experienced, so I'll ask you, He's noticed bigger crowds post COVID than he had seen in quite a while, but he said people want to get to the venue earlier. They like earlier shows, you know, whereas, you know, in, in sort of the semi old days, you might start a gig at 10, 11 at night and, you know, play till two, three in the morning or what have you. He's seeing a lot of earlier gigs at the small and mid-sized venues. Are you seeing that? Um, I guess a little bit like, yeah, I guess I'm seeing more people at gigs. Um, Maybe it's because of people's like working schedules. Maybe more people working from home. They're working right. earlier, finishing earlier, and they're able to get out to a gig oh, earlier. Oh yeah, you know, it's, everyone loves an idea of like an early gig, like five o'clock start, come home by like nine o'clock. Lovely, get to bed. Unless if you're at work. So um, yeah, yeah. So I guess like if people have you know found a more flexible working like daily schedule, then that could be a thing. And and yeah, like. I don't know, maybe people are thinking more about, 
don't know, transport and um, I don't know, maybe they're just a bit more used to being at home and they just <laughs> don't want yeah. to be <laughs> And we talked about a little bit about sort of the, the cocoon safety feeling, you know, post COVID. Um, well, I think, yes, like, uh, I mean, when I came back to, to gigs, I did notice there were more people at the shows, but I don't know whether that was because while we were uh, in this like lockdown, like stage, we did a lot of promotion and like we were reaching a lot uh, online okay. promotion and we were reaching a lot more people. So, uh, but I, and then I don't know, like, are the crowds getting older? Like, did I feel like everyone aged a lot in those two years? We did, we did, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you maybe you just you know you value having a nice place to sit, and I think maybe just the culture became more like it's okay to want to sit down, it's okay right. to want to uh, have be well rested. Like, that's not like a bad thing. Um, nobody's going to shame you into um being uncomfortable anymore because if you just don't want to do it you're just not going to go so um yeah i guess like there's a kind of push to make venues and gigs more accessible more friendly and just like a nicer place to be which, which is can only be a good thing i suppose that, that could only be a good thing yeah now, now i want to switch gears with you a little bit if that's okay yeah. um so you have such a cool sort of amalgamation of background musical interest you you come from a sort of punk and heavy metal bent. And I, I you know, Scott and I were chatting when we were so happy you said yes, first of all, uh, to doing the show. So, so who were some of your most serious punk influences? Oh, I guess like, um, I guess the damned were a big one that I really liked. And I guess I, I was more of a, a metal head and then, I kind of kind of punk kind of came in and out like for me like I, I really enjoyed like the riot girl kind of era like x-ray specs and and stuff like that so um but you know it was kind of a later thing and it was it's I I always think of like Motorhead as like a metal band I mean they always say we're a rock and roll band but they're kind of a punk band as well right and, uh you know that kind of crossover is is kind of where I'm the most interested in, in punk music. Oh, and like, I suppose the cramps, kind of more, more psychobilly kind of thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think my, my favorite punk band would be The Damned. Right. Now, do you go back to any of the original traditional punk, you, you know, like The Pistols, sort of The Clash? And they're not really punk, but you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I really like them. Um, I, I played... Um, I was adept for like a Sex Pistols tribute act for a little while, and that, that was oh, fun. Like great. very, like, you know, it's very straightforward bass lines. It was quite cool. It was fun to to learn uh, those like two albums. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it was all off the same album that we that we did. Um, um, but yeah, like I don't know when I think of of punk, like yeah, the Sex Pistols are very like, you know, they were really cool when I first started listening to them, but like. They don't really feel like the ethos of punk the more you kind of learn about them, like being more like kind of manufactured, put together. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know, like they became less and less cool, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and even their albums, you know, I always comment that they're, they're, they're almost too nicely produced. Like they were really well produced, their, you know, their songs, like almost impossibly so, considering sort of what they were trying to convey that, you know, that. They, they sound too good almost, you know, yeah. you know, 
And I had never yeah, thought about the base. Money behind them, which having yeah. a lot of money behind them makes them, I don't know, very different um, to what like most people consider punk to be. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was ever so briefly. I was in a band called Bloody Smegma of all things. I was in a punk band. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, in uh, about seventy eight, seventy nine. And then Scott stole me, and we actually formed the. We were in a band called The Cure before The Cure existed. Oh, we wow. came, okay. we they came up with. Name. Yeah, they did. We got no money because we weren't any good. But uh, and then and then heavy metal. Who were some of your uh, your your biggest influences? I know this already because we've looked you up. But uh, let us know who are some of your biggest heavy metal influences. It would probably be Black Sabbath. Would be the main one. I just think they're the most influential band just i don't know of, of like the whole genre and i feel like they they created heavy metal and they were the first one of the first people to kind of fuse uh like the kind of horror of uh you know fusing horror with music and like downtuned guitars and like riffs and like frightening sounds and all these kind of cool things that i just think are really exciting and then um i was a big metallica fan i still am obviously a huge metallica yeah. fan but like, i was super obsessed with them through all my teenage years so uh yeah black sabbath and metallica would definitely be the most influential on in my playing as well also the bass players geezer butler and cliff burson like hugely influential i hadn't i hadn't really thought about that before but sort of the sabbath mix of you know, sort of the notion of witchcraft and ethereal and medieval. And and who was it? Um, was it Aleister Crowley who was like a, a he was the so-called devil worshiper, right? Uh, and, and it added to the to the mystique and the ethos, and it takes you to that that fun dark place, you know. And and, it, and, and I'm guessing, and I'll let you elaborate on it. I think perhaps some of the appeal to you and the fans would be the escape that you can get through that, that sort of fantasy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Giza Butler from Black Sabbath, uh, he's often talked about how they were kind of uh, observing like uh, the cinema and like uh, the horror films that were coming through. And they were like, like, why are people paying money to be scared? Why do they want to be right. scared? Like, yeah. It's not nice, surely. And then they were like, well, actually, maybe it is. And, um, you know, we like it. This is This is fun to us so maybe in uh, in the medium of music it would work as well and uh, people would like that I mean you know not to say that they're the first band to kind of fuse those things there was a band called Coven in, in America I think actually that were kind of uh, doing that sort of thing just before that's kind of self-explanatory right <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but I, I don't know like whether they they heard of, of Coven or not but um, or whether they completely it came about organically uh, but yeah, I just think uh, people were just interested in like being scared. <laughs> and, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, the fascination with like the occult and uh, weird things going on. And like, you know, you speak to a lot of people who were around at this time and they were like, yeah, yeah, I really did see things that I can't explain. And um, it, it, it's super fascinating. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I've, I've so had, maybe it was the drugs, yeah. you know, it could have been the drugs. <laughs> Although I will, I, I've had in my uh, personal life, I've had some pretty cool, unexplainable experiences while not on drugs or drunk or anything, including moving items and things like that. So oh, cool. yeah, pretty cool stuff. 
Um, and then, it, and if you talk about the mystique, and, and I think I'm getting the name, I think it was Alistair Crowley, right? Yeah. And they would record albums in his house, I believe. I think so. Yeah, that yeah. sounds about right. I, yeah. And, he, <laughs> cool. and, and he's, you know, so here he is, you know, he's bringing the pentagram, holy crap, you know, to the public consciousness. And I would think that the mystique is such a, dare I say, healthy outlet for people, you know, they're going to work, they're working, you know, eight, nine, 10 hour days. Um, and, and they just want, they want their escape. They want their fantasy. And obviously you want good music attached to it. So I, I had never thought of that analysis of the roots of heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Like, uh, I mean, you think about, you know, the start of Black Sabbath and like, you know, the industrial, like it's heavy, it's slow. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's reflecting the kind of working class background, like the industrial, like factory uh, background that they all kind of had. But yeah, like thinking, okay, yeah, the escape that they will be desiring is something where they have a lot of power. They can call upon powers right. um, through like their beliefs and, and, and things that can make them more powerful. Like that's, uh, that's quite interesting so yeah of course you wouldn't be like reading the satanic bible and listening to black sabbath and lighting right. candles and a little pentagram like yeah. that sounds yeah. like a perfect evening <laughs> yeah and, and it's funny you know um and scott actually started a drinking game right now he called it um on the, the other side of the pond so i think he's going to drink every time we say that i'm about to say it so on your side of the pond um think about the stones uh, i always forget exactly how to, her satanic majesty's secret request the stones album which uh -huh. I, I think I have the name right. And that's my favorite Stones album. And, and they were doing it, you know, what, 66, 67, maybe 68, uh, maybe earlier. Might have even been closer to when the Beatles started. But they were playing on that. And, and their style was not at all heavy metal, but I think they were playing on that mystique, you know. That, that's yeah. And you know they they liked being the bad boys as well. If you, did. I like <laughs> them better than like, the Stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they liked that um, people's parents hated them. Whereas I think uh, I don't know. I, I I would say like Black Sabbath. Like not that your parents should hate them, but like they're supposed know, to. They're supposed yeah. to. That's the, that's yeah. They like being like the, the dark, darker, uh, like the yin and yang with the Beatles. They wanted to be the, the dark side. Yeah. They wanted to be like, we're like them, but like we're for, we're the yeah. bad ones. We got, we got a little <laughs> bit of edge, you know, yeah. and, and they were sort of the sexier band. And, yeah. and not, not that the members of the band were better looking than the Beatles. It doesn't matter, but sort of their vibe was a sexier vibe because of the danger attached to it. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. say they were cute, that you would say they were sexy. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's a very fair characterization. Yes. And um and and, and I'm gonna do a quickie um topic change because I don't want to forget to do it, and I always give Scott credit. Um endorsements. I, I I've read a little bit. I know you are a lover of Rickenbacker. Um uh, and, and do you have any companies you are an endorser for? So um endorser of uh Diodario uh, strings. Um yep. I, I've been like big fan of their strings for a long time, so I was very pleased when they uh agreed to take me onto their roster. That was quite a few years ago. Um, right. but yeah, still super happy with their strings. And um Packs of five for you, I know. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And then we've got dark glass electronics, uh, which do amps, uh, cabs, and effects pedals. So mostly like distortion, um, overdrive, compression kind of pedals. So okay. they're quite a, a smaller company. They're, they were based in Finland. I, I know there's some kind of restructuring of the company going on right now. But, um, yeah, they, they're doing really well. Um, but, yeah, they were a much smaller company in Finland. So I kind of thought, like, big company with Diodario and then a smaller one with Dark like glass. That. They both have their perks, you know, being yeah. with a small company, like you grow together and then being with a bigger one, they can kind of help you out a lot more. So, um, right. yeah, those are the main ones. And then like um, my pick guards, um, okay. kind of endorsed with uh, Alperius custom pick guards. I, I don't know if you've seen them, but yeah. Oh, you can very... show us. Let's, let's take I a look at some. We would love um, that. This one. <laughs> oh, look at that. So, so it's, all, it's all like shiny. It's carved out of um, aluminium, I think. And so, yeah, it's kind of like texture, oh, so it catches the light nicely. And that's beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he did this. Uh, I can get it in the light. Can you see? Look this? At the, I can. Yeah, yeah, that looks nice. fantastic. Yeah, and, and like, so, look at how skinny that neck is too. Yeah, yeah. It's and like from here at least it looks like a nice skinny neck. Yeah, it's not bad. It's uh. I, I don't know. I'm so used to Rickenbackers now. Like it's <laughs> it's just a Rickenbacker. That's all it is. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, three of my bases have have very similar designs, and you also did a little thumb rest on there as well. Oh, I like that. And what that that you have that that sunburst guitar sort it looks sort of sunbursty. The second one over hanging. This one. Yeah. Oh, that's a, a Dan Electro Longhorn. Oh my God! Is that gorgeous? Yeah, it's cool, right? Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, you see a lot of these in like kind of 70s, 80s kind of videos. Yeah. Like, like um, uh, the Suite in um, Slade. Like, I think their bass players use some of these. But this is like a newer one. I think it's like early 2000s. But okay, the, but it's the, retro, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I yeah, know. I love retro looking bases. And I don't know, it's this kind of sicky brown color. With these like really gross plastic knobs, and I love it. It's so yeah. Cool. <laughs> you know what I like? I like how basic it is. Yeah, yeah. I think oh, actually, the bass player from uh, Maniskin. If you've seen uh, that band, they're really big now. Um, their bass player plays a Longhorn as well. Um, what was I going to show you just then? Um, wait, can you see? Um, oh, you can't really see it. There's a little. No, we can like, see it. You can see there's a little uh, skull. Uh, this is a little skull head on there. Oh, look at that! I, I could. T I know it's there. Oh yeah, now I can see it. I keep it still. Oh yeah, right there. That's very cool. <laughs> it's one of those things only you know about. Though it's there when you're on stage, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. If you take a closer look, there's actually some cool things on there. Uh, but yeah, this base is um, from uh, 1977. This was made so. And that's a cool, and, and that's not as skinny looking a neck as your other Rick, at least to my perspective. Well, that, yeah, Possibly it looks like a meteor neck on that one. <laughs> They're both the same, um, are they? Yeah, the white one and the black one. I think, um, you know, th this is a five string here, so maybe that looks thick, yeah, there. yeah. Um, but this, this one's like a uh, three quarter kind of scale, yeah, um, so this is much shorter, but. Yeah, the others are more kind of standard. And, and, you know, so when did you start 
tinkering around with a five string versus a four string? What was your thought process? And I know, I know you're not a fan of cheap five strings. I read that. <laughs> was I ranting about cheap five strings? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't like them. Um, yeah. Like I, I got a, a five string once and it was cheap and it was crap and I hated it. So <laughs> yeah, a bit later on, I, um, yeah, I needed uh, more of a kind of working base because I was out of university and really need to pick up some more paid gigs. Like, right. I, you know, I really wanted to buy like a pointy, like, bc rich or something right 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 something like really cool but i needed something like sensible that i could work with and you know the best kind of thing for that kind of uh maybe wedding work like function work and um tribute bands is to have a five string so it's a a lot easier to like transpose um songs to a different key like if if your singer needed it or something um and yes people were talking about the fender jazz bass and right. um yeah so i got one of those and it yeah it's, it's really nice it's it was a secondhand one but um but i love it and then you know it started getting incorporated more into um playing with original bands as well so i kind of pimped it up a bit so that's also got an alperius pit guard um scratch plate on it so those uh, are super cool yeah. and, and, and what are there any particular uh pickups you're partial to so I've uh, modified the uh, two Rickenbackers with uh, Seymour Duncan pickups. Okay. So it's kind of like the kind of Lemmy kind of pickup that, that I think he was using. So they, they sound great. Like it, it does like change it. For, a lot of people don't like the to modify the classic Rickenbacker sound. Like you're kind of ruining it. But uh, I, I don't know. Like I, I really like the kind of high gain. Okay. Um, stuff that it's just a lot more appropriate for the metal and the kind of rock and punk stuff that I'm playing. Right. So, you know, I guess it's, it's a little bit less like distinctively Rickenbacker, but. But we know your original like attraction. <laughs> I read your original attraction to Rickenbacker is that they looked cool, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and they do. They, they do. do. They just look cool. <laughs> They're the coolest. Like, I've always wanted a Rick as a guitar and I just haven't hmm. gotten, yet gotten around to getting them. But they're, yeah. they're, and they're iconic. But you got to make them for you. I mean, you got to you got to have the sound match Becky, right? Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I guess, I guess you know, because Lemmy was such a big influence on me. Like the Rickenbacker was like, yes, that's the kind of bass that I I, I want. And then yeah, as my sound kind of progressed, and then I kind of looked into what kind of uh, pickups he was using. Then it, it made and also uh, Cliff Burton and other like bass players that I was really into. It just yeah seemed right to try out the Seymour Duncan, and it's yeah it, it's just transformed the sound. It's been really good. And that's what you, you have to be true to you and, and what you want to accomplish, you know. So I think that's great. So you got yeah. the best of both worlds. You got your cool guitar that your idol used, and then you made it your own. It, it's just like when you if you it, you know we've had so many people talk about covers, and ultimately you know when when you do a cover, you, if if you don't make it your own in a way that makes the audience feel good then what are you doing you know yeah well what's the point of doing it unless if you put a little bit of yourself a little bit of your own personality and flair of style into it otherwise they'll just listen to the original (laughs) i guess yeah now now in your world of you know you meant you've been in some tribute bands and you do uh originals um now you're a songwriter also i understand 
Um, not really. So no? uh, I don't know why you found that, but no, I like yeah. generally I just write the bass lines. Okay. Um, I, yeah, you know, I you know I'll help with like arranging the song, but in terms of like writing the song from from silence to a song, right, right. Um, no, like that's generally um, other bandmates <laughs> do right. that bit. Although if you're writing the bass line, that's part of the process, right? Uh, yeah, it is part of it. Like you know, I yeah. I, I do think it's an important part. Like um, yeah. But yeah. it's yeah, like I, I wouldn't know where to start. Like, so I I like it when, you know, the song is, you've already got like the bare bones of the song. You've got the, the yeah. idea of like either some of the riffs or some of like the chords, and and the feel, and then you can start like playing around with how the bass line will pull it in in whichever direction, or just do what you can to serve the song. Um, so yeah, you know, that is like writing, you know, yeah. you write bass signs, but I, I don't know. Oh, I don't yeah. Writing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd give you props for it. And, you know, I, I, because I don't have my notes in front of me, but the song I'll meet you in hell. Is that, is that the right title? Or, um, it's probably if you get to hell first, if you get to hell first. It, so yeah. that, that baseline in that first love the video, um, and then perhaps more importantly, yeah, definitely more importantly, the music is fantastic in that. And that was just such a driving rhythm section in that song. Did you did you put that bass line together for that one? Um, I'm I can't remember. I think uh, some of it. I'm not sure if you know the bit where it all drops out. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that was already. I think it may have been originally on a guitar, and then it kind of got like they should do that bit <laughs> you know um so yeah like there, you know there's certain bits and certain songs that like you know certain bass breaks that i've done but i feel like that one that was already quite an important part of uh of the riff that was already written for the song it, it was just so tight and you know I, I i trend a little more rock than heavy metal and i was loving that song and, and i wonder you know where in what genre would you call that I think that if one you could. is. I think I would say that one is heavy metal. Like it's, um, it's not quite thrash. Like it's one yeah. of the faster heavy metal songs, but it doesn't have kind of the other qualities of the, that you'd call thrash, I suppose. Like, but it's just kind of a fast heavy metal song. Um, but a lot of that album is more hard rock, and you know maybe even kind of just more like kind of classic rock kind of. Sound. You know, like uh, yeah. over here, we call it the new wave of classic rock because there's a lot of classic rock fans um, going around uh, at right. the moment. So yeah, we've kind of moved a bit more towards some like classic rock sounds. But that is more of a metal song on that album. It's still a metal album overall, but it has yeah. a few like. And, and we will be, um, we will be when we finish up the show. We're going to be closing out with some parts of that video. It, cool. it just Scott and I just both fell in love with the tune. You know. Oh it, great. It, no, it's such a cool tune. Oh, I love uh, that song. No, I always think when people ask, like, okay, what song should we check out? I always say that one. Like, it's just a really cool, uh, just little, like, story of, like, a rock and roll band and, like, musicians. Uh, you sell your soul to the devil. It's like, it, I don't know, it's that old, oh. like, um, you know, devil at the crossroads kind of story. It's completely that. And, and then even in the video, when he, he's literally signing a contract with the devil. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> and, and it's really nicely filmed. Like, I... I'm watching this and I'm picking up on all the fine details, how they had their gorgeous focus on a fat. It looked like it wasn't, but it looked like a fountain pen, but then they had blurry the rest of the contract and you see the, 
the grain of the paper. So someone put a lot of thought into the style of the of the taping or filming of that. It's a it's a really well done video. Yeah, that the guy he does a lot of our, our videos. He's called um it's called Lion Island Media, but he's done a few of ours now. And like every time we come to him with this concept and we're like, so we need to dress this guy up as the devil and we have to like do this and he and we're like, do you think you could do something? And he's like Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll figure something out. And then every time he he pulls something out of the bag, and we're like, oh yeah. So uh, at the end, we're like, oh, we need to be in hell. Like he needs to have like gone into hell. And like, how are we gonna make that happen? He's like, oh, I don't know. Leave, leave it to me. I'll think about it. Then he's like, oh, there's a cave in um out in in these uh, in this woodland like uh, over there. Like if we filmed at night in this cave, it will and put some red lights around. It will probably look like hell. And like it totally did. We were like, it did. yeah, we were like, how are we going to do this with the green screen? And it's going to be really tacky and stuff. And he's like, nah, we'll just find a cave in the middle of nowhere, and I can make it look like hell. Yeah, and, and he just and, did a great job. And it's fun. I mean, and, it's I mean, and we it's... got to like paint our friend red, put like fake nails on him. Take a tea yeah. stain like a piece of paper and make a contract. <laughs> it's all very fun. It, I almost tried the lawyer in me. This is so pathetic. I almost paused and I wanted to see if I could read what the contract really said. Like if, if there was like funny stuff in there, uh, because obviously yeah. it's probably not really a contract with the devil would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. But you know, what? I can't remember what we did with those. I think we, we kept hold of them. Like, we had a couple of copies because you know you'd sign yeah. it and then something would go wrong and then we'd have to do the shot a few times. Right, right, right. Um, we probably have it somewhere, and I do remember writing out the contract. Oh, that's so that if funny. People read it like if if it would make sense. Oh, so you actually sort of used some kind of language, and so it really was a contract with the devil, just for shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah, so to we, speak. We, yeah, yeah, we did definitely. Yeah, yeah, we did some research online, like at, I don't know. <laughs> of course, obviously, Google has uh, contracts. Yeah devil that you can just print off at home um so oh, yeah we just great. kind of borrowed bits from that and um put to something together so yeah J julian signed it and so now his soul belongs to the day i was just going to say that you know arguably that's a binding contract <laughs> so he he might have some issues down the road he, <laughs> he did sign it we all see he signed it oh no yeah i don't know <laughs> Yeah, That's will funny. that hold up in court? We'll have to see. <laughs> and what court would it be? It would be uh, in Hades. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, they'll do whatever they want down there. <laughs> but so, so let me ask you this: so, so what is next on the horizon besides eternal damnation? Um, what's next on the horizon for Fury for you with Fury and other stuff you have going on? Um, so next, where continuing to tour a little bit in the UK and a little bit in uh, in Europe. Uh, and then starting this summer, we should be starting our next album, which is going to be our fifth studio album. Wow. Um, and then hopefully that will be released in maybe spring next year. We seem to be on this like kind of two, two year album cycle release in spring and then tour. So um, yeah, like hopefully everything falls into place for that happening. And Hopefully we have a bigger impact on this album and start to like get out some new uh, cities and countries and stuff. So um, yeah, it's quite an exciting time because like the next album, I don't know, I guess we're, our songwriting is a bit more refined now, I guess. Okay. Um, it's, you know, the, the direction of the band has like slowly been changing from one album to the next. Um, so I don't know. We just, I just hope we have, 
our audience are open-minded and just you know like to hear different kinds of music like we don't really follow the same thing like you i don't know you might have seen that um we recently released a song called dragon song which was an acoustic loved it i wish wanted to talk about that all right there was no fantasy there that was just a straight up great serious song you had the uh per the the uh person standing up in the background assisting with the vocals um Really nice acoustic guitar work. I loved, you know, layering in your bass work. I really enjoyed that song. Oh, great. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I don't think, it, I wouldn't call it a departure. I would call it growth and expansion from where you last were, you know? Yeah, because we don't like, you know, we don't stop being a heavy metal band. We still right. sometimes play those songs. So, yeah, the original version of that song is more of a kind of power metal uh, Right heavy fast loud kind of song and then we're like well it would work really well in this um in this format so let's let's try it that doesn't mean we stop like the other version stops existing so yeah well we're very happy to pursue any style of music if if we think it's good if we like it like you know we're not just going to completely sell out and start playing a different kind of music because we think that's where the money is or something. Right, <laughs> so right. It's obviously yeah. not happening. But yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like we just hope that fans will, it's not a huge like gap in in genre, yeah. but like yeah. they'll enjoy, yeah, they'll enjoy like heavy music as well as like hard rock and, and also some acoustic stuff. And, you know, it's okay to like a few different things and to play a few Absolutely. different things. Well, I have a whole list going on in my head, starting with, on this side of the pond, there you go, Scott. Take a drink. On this side of the pond, extreme. Their biggest, they're a hard, hard, hard rock song. Yeah. And their most famous song is nothing like it. And everyone still loves them for being a hard rock band. Ozzy has some soft songs, you know, and no one no one questions his street credibility and when he bites the head off pigeons. I mean, you know, <laughs> he's never gonna lose his credibility. Um, but yeah, and that song was just it was delicate. It was emotional and it was thoughtful. Like I, I loved it. That that was a really great song. Yeah. And, yeah. and where do, and, and I, I sort of forced it upon myself. Let me let me come up with this segue here. Where will people find where can people go to find that song? You could go to uh, maybe just go to my website so you can find everything there. Uh, so okay. uh Becky uh, if you want to find the Fury website, that's FuryOfficial.co.uk. Uh, but I keep my website more updated because I know how to do it better. <laughs> so, so like you might find more stuff on there. And then, yeah. you know, you'll find links through to our YouTube and like find all our videos there yeah. and everything. It was so easy. I, I enjoyed my YouTube journey looking at all your stuff today. It, oh, okay. it was great. <laughs> it was great. Well, I got to tell you, it was so much fun having you on the show. And we're, we're really grateful that you took the time. It's a late night show for you. That's not lost on us. Um, so we do truly appreciate it. That's okay. I've got English cider and uh, I'm having a nice time. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. By the way, Scott's idea, I'm drinking tea for you today. Except, except I put a little Jersey vodka in it. Oh, great. So that's (laughs) perfect. Yes, but we we did a little bit of tea for your side of the pond. So (laughs) cheers with our noise network. Uh, Wait, hold on. Let me do our product placement. Our noise network mug. I can't do that right. There we go. Well, cheers. 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 
Well, thank you so much. This was great with Becky Baldwin. I want to thank everyone here in Guitar Tales for tuning in. Do us a favor if you can. If you like what you're seeing, just hit subscribe. It's not that hard. It doesn't take a lot of work. You could just do this. Just do this, and it makes everybody happy, and it gets you uh, advance notice of all the great shows like Becky Baldwin will, will be having on. Have a great night, and thanks again to Scott Katarmasis Stengel for all your beautiful work. Have a great night. It's Phil X, and you're watching Guitar Tales with Dave Cohen and Guitar Tales, Guitar Tales. Like, what else do you need, right? Guitar. We're geeks, nerds, gear, inspirations, positive vibes. Look out.